So CO2 has a lot of industrial uses. One of the advantages of this process is that the CO2 comes out in a very uh, usable form, a supercritical liquid. If we can capture this and either sequester it, mineralize it, or use it in, say, methanol synthesis and upgrading, then at least you're either permanently sequestering it or, or getting to reuse it. Welcome to Science Town, a podcast about the most unique research community on the planet. With every episode, we will bring you cutting-edge tech, science, and startup culture through the eyes of pioneering men and women. Their journeys cross disciplines and cross borders in the pursuit of world-changing science. Welcome to episode 24 of Science Town. I'm Julie West. In this second episode of the three-part Science Town series on innovative portable technologies, I chat with William Roberts, a professor of mechanical engineering at KAUST and the director of the Clean Combustion Research Center. Bill discusses his work developing and deploying cryogenic carbon capture technologies to mitigate pollutants, including portable units designed to capture emissions from ships. He explains why carbon capture and storage are not only viable, efficient, and economical climate solutions, but also essential to the energy transition. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. You're involved in researching and developing clean combustion technologies and new fuels, and cryogenic carbon capture is one area of expertise within this field that we'll be focused on today. What is meant by clean combustion, and how does cryogenic carbon capture support this? Okay, that's a good question. So clean combustion is really how do we minimize the environmental impact of converting fuels into energy or mobility. And so some of its efficiency gains, uh, improving you know, thermodynamic cycles of, of, of heat engines, gas turbines, internal combustion engines, some of its fuel switching, uh, reducing the carbon content of the fuel, say. Um, there's a lot of focus and interest on, on hydrogen and hydrogen carriers like ammonia. Um, changing the hydrogen to carbon ratio, um, so these are all things that, that reduce the carbon footprint per unit of work. And what we'd like to do is extend this further by um, doing post-capture. So, so we can think about manipulating the fuel and, and pre-combustion. We can manipulate, optimize the combustion process. And then we can talk about cleaning up the exhaust stream after, after we've optimized the first two. And, and part of this, then, is capturing the CO2 that's emitted. And is that where the cryogenic carbon capture part comes so into that's, play? That's, that's where, so the, the technique that we have um, are working on, demonstrating here in the kingdom, is, is based on freezing out the CO2 as, as dry ice. Uh-huh. Okay, so walk us through how, uh, how that works. Okay, so, so the, the, the carbon content, uh, CO2 content in the air is small. It's 450 ppm or so. But coming out of a point source, like um, uh, a power plant, it could be 3, 4, 5% for a gas turbine, a modern gas turbine, high efficiency gas turbine. It could be 30 or 40% from um, a steam methane reformer. 
So it's much easier to capture at these much higher uh, mole fractions. Um, the, the, the technique that we're quite enamored with and, and interested in um, exploiting, um, we take the flue gas and cool it down to uh, cryogenic temperatures. And the CO2 at these very low temperatures and atmospheric pressure goes directly from a gas to a solid. And, and most people will recognize this as dry ice. And uh, we have to be clever in how we um, collect this dry ice because anybody that has a freezer knows that a frost layer will build up. And, and uh, if you're interested in heat transfer, then this inhibits the heat transfer. So, so we can't use, we don't want to use a solid surface uh, as part of our heat exchange medium. So we, we have a, a direct contact liquid um, where the CO2 freezes onto this falling droplet and then we collect this droplet and it's fairly easy then to separate the solid CO2 from the liquid refrigerant. And once we have the solid CO2 at these cryogenic temperatures, we can, we can melt it and compress it. And typically you're going to want the CO2 uh, in liquid phase, and which means high pressure, um, for transport or for usage. And the fact that we can compress it as a solid and liquid is about a thousand times less expensive energy-wise than trying to compress a gas. So there's some inherent advantages to the process, um, and and we're trying to uh, you know exploit those at at scale. Um, we're working with a company in um, Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, Sustainable Energy Solutions, and, and, and they have um, been working on this for 18 or 20 years. And, and so we are really looking at uh, working with them to, to expand and deploy this at, at pilot scale. And then also, how do we expand the um, capability to look at other pollutants right? so that we could think about looking at dirty exhaust uh, flue gas, say, from burning heavy fuel oil. Okay, so you, you've successfully harnessed the, the carbon from these sources, then what? What do you what do you do with it? So, the current project is to capture the CO2 um, from a, a natural gas-fired combined cycle power plant, best in class, um, and it's even got integrated solar um, to help improve the efficiency. So it's a very efficient, very clean power plant already. Um, but we're going to clean it up even further by capturing some of the CO2. This liquid CO2 will then be used for several um, different industrial processes. Uh, one of them is, is uh, controlling the pH in water desalination. One of them is going to food and beverage for carbonation, so we can get very pure CO2. <clears throat> but the biggest use will be combining the captured CO2 with uh, um, hydrogen generated from electrolyzing water using solar and wind. So the hydrogen will be combined with carbon dioxide to form methanol, the simplest alcohol. 
And this methanol can then be upgraded into other higher hydrocarbons. And um, in particular, where Aramco, say, uh, is interested in taking this methanol and converting it to what's, what would be e-gasoline, so a renewable gasoline. So this power plant is uh, within the NEOM boundary. Um, NEOM has a goal of being completely hydrocarbon free. It will capture about um, 30 tons a day, which will be um, the largest demonstration of this technology um, in the world. And um, you know we hope to have it constructed and operating by the end of 2024. Wow, congratulations. That's uh, very exciting. I saw a demonstration of this technology for the unveiling of a portable cryogenic carbon capture system that your team designed. Uh, and for listeners, it's about the size of a, a tiny home, only packed with sophisticated instrumentation of every shape and size. So why portable? Where are you envisioning this unit will go? And why is that portability um, critical? Okay, so so we want to be able to demonstrate this new capability, this capability, again, to capture not just carbon dioxide, but also oxides of sulfur and nitrogen, as well as particulate matter, soot, and, and water. And so we would like to be able to demonstrate this capability at a wide range of um, facilities, whether it's um, smelting or cement manufacturing or using um, you know a utility scale burning again heavy fuel oil and and ultimately we want to put this on a ship and demonstrate a ship-based carbon capture with with this multi-pollutant capability Why ships? Why would that be important? When you look at shipping, um, the ships have a long lifetime. It's a low margin business. Um, and, and you have to have tremendous range as you're crossing oceans. So same with, with aircraft. So, so trying to do this with batteries and electric propulsion, it's hard to fathom that that, that would be possible. So, so you're committed to internal combustion engines or gas turbines to, to power ships and, and, and planes. So then you need an energy carrier. And, and people talk about hydrogen, it's probably doubtful for aircraft and, and shipping. Uh, ammonia is more interesting and, and perhaps more viable. But these are 25 or 35 years away. And, and, and we need something much nearer on the time horizon. If you could put a, a uh, a plant on a ship that took a, a small fraction of its available volume, because this is money, to capture the CO2, store it in the fuel tanks as the fuel is being consumed, and then when the ship gets to its destination, it gets offloaded and then sequestered permanently, again, geologically, th then suddenly the, the shipping is uh, stackless, is green, and it's viable near term, three to five years, not, not 30 to 50. Everybody has the same aspirational goal, right? but we need pragmatic solutions to get there. You're listening to Science Town. 
What about this is different from other carbon capture technologies? Most commercially viable, commercially scalable systems use um, an absorption technique where they use um, an amine and they percolate the gas through the amine and the CO2 is absorbed um, in the amine and then it gets saturated and the amine has to be regenerated. And, and this is what's used now as the only really large-scale process. And it has some significant disadvantages, uh, significant issues that still need to be overcome before it really is cost-effective and, and viable. Um, there are other techniques that are suitable for, um, say, direct air capture, where you want to pull out CO2 from the air. And these are based on uh, adsorption, so so sticking to a physical surface or a molecule. Um, and this whole area is, is based around certain molecular structures that, that are quite popular called uh, metal organic, organic framework molecules, MOFs. And so this is kind of a third technique, which we think has considerable energy benefits and is uh, scalable and, and near-term deployable. And then within the cryogenic portfolio, there are other techniques. The, the piece that our uh, technology partner, uh, SES, which is now owned by uh, Chart, is the direct contact heat exchanger where we don't have a surface that we have to worry about scraping the CO2 off or somehow sublimating it off. But I think we have some interesting technology advantages in terms of um, cost, energy input, and, and scalability. Um, what do you think are the most controversial or misunderstood issues surrounding carbon capture technologies? Well, for the cryogenics, particularly here in the kingdom, when I talk to people their immediate reaction is, this is the desert. Cryogenics, that doesn't make any sense at all. And if you sit and think about it, it really is, how good is my heat exchange? Right? It's just moving heat around. So the better I can do that, the more efficient I can become. on your role as a professor, mm -hmm. what's exciting about working with younger generations? The young understand the problem that they're inheriting, by and large. And they understand that it's incumbent upon them to find the solution. Uh, I'm blessed with, with working with some very clever and bright students. Uh, and, and they come up with some really interesting ideas. Uh, on, on how to apply, um, you know, what we're doing to other areas. And, uh, you know, just this morning, one of my students came and said, you know, what about this idea on, on how we can design this heat exchanger? And yeah, that's the great thing about this job, being a faculty, is working with these um, energetic, bright students that, that like to think out of the box. Um, I don't want an extension of my hands. I, I want somebody that's going to make me better and smarter. Science Town, brought to you by Kaust. 
You've been good about clarifying that uh, carbon capture, cryogenic carbon capture, is just one part of the solution based on geography, industry, etc. Um, so you've answered part of this, but I, I do want to go ahead and ask you specifically how you see carbon capture and storage in the broader picture of climate solutions. Mm -hmm. CCUS, carbon capture with, with um, geologic storage is, I think, absolutely essential. The carbon has evolved uh, over several hundred million years, um, and we've liberated it over a hundred years. So storing it in temporary storage, biomass, trees, plastics, um, these are all very short-term. Right? We need to be thinking about how do I store this for 10,000, 100,000 years, 100 million years. I mean, we need geologic storage, which means geologic timescales, which means mineralization or, or deep underground wells. We, we have to be able to pull 50 gigatons of CO2 out of the environment. We have to supply uh, affordable, reliable energy to support a population of 9 billion people. We have some, some um, competing goals that are very difficult to meet. And I think you know, everybody wants to be fully renewable and have solar and wind. You look at the carbon footprint of solar cells and solar panels and wind turbines, they're not zero. All of this requires uh, infrastructure and, and energy to produce these. You know, I think the meta message is uh, there's no one solution. Yeah. The solutions are time dependent, geography dependent, industry dependent, government dependent, right? So there's a lot of moving parts. And, and so eventually we'll get there. Eventually we might have fusion, the holy grail. But until we do, right, we've got 30 to 50 years to solve this problem. And, uh, and so I think carbon capture is absolutely essential. I think fuel switching is essential. I think efficiency is the low hanging fruit. It's much easier to make something more efficient, right? So I think we have to be pushing on all of these levers, right? We didn't get here uh, we're in the position we're in um, overnight. Right? We've done this over a hundred years. So it's, we have to be aggressive in, in finding any knobs and, and turning them. Hearing you talk, it must be really fascinating then to have witnessed all these changes taking place in your field from one decade to the next. So certainly things are changing very rapidly. I couldn't imagine I would be doing this 10 years ago. Um, we think of, of uh, internal combustion engine as an old technology. We think of combustion as an old technology. And it is. It's man's first technology, combustion. Yeah, so I think combustion uh, is viewed as the problem, uh, and I think this is um, a tragic misunderstanding. We need to be able to transport energy and utilize it where it's needed. Hydrocarbons happen to be a marvelous energy carrier. There are others. Combustion is quite efficient at converting chemical enthalpy into work. 
it's storable, it's deployable, it's scalable, it's transportable. There are tremendous advantages in terms of storage and trying to incorporate a fluctuating commodity like renewables into, um, say, a grid. And, 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 and batteries might eventually be the solution. But until then, storing this energy in terms of hydrogen or ammonia or converting to some other hydrogen carrier, and then reclaiming that energy uh, through various um, heat engines through combustion is going to be important and relevant and, and still viable, I, I, I imagine, for 50 or 70 years. Combustion is not the problem. Uh, combustion is essential for the solution. But the emphasis is, is certainly more on how do we incorporate renewable energy, how do we store it, how do we utilize it, how do we transport it, and, and then how do we mitigate the effects, um, the climate effects. And so there's, there's a tremendous amount of interesting things to do out there. Uh, it's a very exciting time. Well, Bill, what a pleasure. Thank you for teaching me more about carbon capture. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks to everyone who took part in Science Town. Science Town is produced by Julie West and Alex Arias. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of King Abdullah University of Science and Technology, also known as KAUST. You can find us on all major social channels, wherever you get your podcasts, and at sciencetown.kaust.edu.sa.